know, we, we didn't come here to be good. All right, that's not why we're here today. We came here to be great. Second and goal from the three. Offset eye in the backfield with Stackhouse and Gunn. There's a snap. Manning back to throw. Swings it to Gunn. He catches it at the one. Drives it. And welcome into another edition of the Grove Report podcast, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. I am John Making Gillespie, your host. And as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Matt Galatson and John Garcia, Jr. Uh, guys, how's it going? Pretty good, man. Uh, busy weekend. Um, Reb's coming off of a uh, disappointing loss, but, you know, it's uh, just another step in the, you know, the, the maturation of the program. You, you can't you know, you can't win them all. You're going to face some adversity. So um, it's not the end of the world, but um, you know, I think they'll probably bounce back this weekend. Yeah, of course the storylines, we, we had a bunch when we started this podcast with, with LSU Ole Miss carried over into the Auburn game and certainly will continue with Liberty coming to town, which will be fun uh, to, to probably joke about later in the week, but yeah, obviously a tough game for Ole Miss Injuries are really becoming a major issue uh, for this roster. Not an excuse. Auburn played well, deserved to win um, pretty much from the outset. I thought Ole Miss showed a lot after getting punched in, in the mouth again. Um, so this team has resolve, and then some guys stepped up. But I think the injuries piling up are, are becoming a bit too much to overcome. So curious to see how that uh, changes going forward. Yeah, I mean, I, that was that was kind of my biggest takeaway from from Saturday was uh, the injuries and really the lack of execution in the red zone that the Rebel offense uh, seemed to show. Um, you know, obviously Matt Corral goes down in the in the second quarter, comes back uh, when and it looked like there for a few minutes. You know, we we might have seen the last of him in a Rebel uniform. I mean, he's he's carted off the field, off of the sideline. He's carted off. Uh, into into the locker room x-rays are negative he comes back in um but yeah i mean the the receiving core is just so depleted i mean it was already depleted coming into the game uh, braylon sanders played like a handful of snaps i think uh didn't didn't really contribute uh just a lot and then Dontario drummond goes down as well um so pair pair that with uh the injuries that were already present coming in and yeah, like kind of like Garcia said, it's, it's really, really starting to become, become more and more of a problem. At what point do you 
go off script? At what point, if you're Lane Kiffin, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of his decisions later, at what point do you peel back and say, okay, based on the personnel, I have to change the way I'm running the program. And if you're Jeff Levy, I have to change the way I'm calling plays, at least to a degree, because the personnel doesn't quite match the plan, right? The typical Ole Miss up-tempo, here we go offense where everything filters through this ultra-experienced quarterback who's kind of seen it all during his time at Oxford. And at what point does that shift? I'm not sure Ole Miss even knows at this point, and the availability this week is still very much to be determined as we record on November 1st. But when Luke Altmaier was in, I thought that we saw a lot of the same with what we see with Matt Corral, right? It was a lot of tempo. It was quick. RPO game, all the stuff that we're, we're used to watching with Ole Miss. And then, of course, Corral comes back in after a timeout, and, and, and obviously things continue to go from there. But regardless of personnel, everything looked kind of the same. I'm wondering how long that can be the case when you just don't have the guys you had in spring ball, the guys you had in fall camp, and those experienced players who are just used to running what, for most, is a very complex and, and different offense to, to learn as a collegiate athlete. Yeah. And I think that, you know, one thing that works in Ole Miss's favor here is that uh, you have Liberty coming in town this week. So um, it's, you know, you don't, you don't have to shift automatically to what would be a a serious grind against a elite Texas tech defense. You have kind of a week to not necessarily take your foot off the gas because Liberty can be dangerous. Um, you know, anytime Hugh Freeze is involved, upsets can happen one way or the other. So um, I think that's something also that's kind of important to keep in mind is it's it's another week for some of these guys to 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 maybe get healthy and and then maybe you don't want to look ahead, but then maybe by the time you get to AM, Braylon Sanders is ready to go and Dontario Drummond is a little bit more healed up. Um, you kind of hope if you're an Ole Miss fan that this weekend that Ole Miss jumps out to sort of a big early lead on Liberty. So then you can take Corral out of the game and put Luke Altmaier in a lot sooner and give, give Corral that much more time to, to kind of heal up. And maybe you focus on that game a little bit more with the running attack and you don't put as much pressure on Corral's legs and, and um, force him to move around in the pocket as much. And, and those are the kinds of things you kind of have to try and take advantage of this week, I think, because after that, you know, Texas A&M is um, – they are really coming into their own right now. They're coming off a bye week. Um, before that, they had three in a row wins over Alabama, Missouri, and South Carolina. And why those last two weren't fantastic wins, that Alabama win's pretty impressive, and the defense has looked better and better each week. So, um, you know, Ole Miss has a, has a pretty steep climb to – or pretty steep, steep hill to climb, I should say. And, um, you know, that if they want to – they still have a chance to do some special things, but if they want to get where they want to go, then it's it's going to have to start this week against Liberty. Well, I, and I'm glad you mentioned that about potentially trying to get healthy this week because that's one of the drawbacks of having the early bye week that Ole Miss had, right? I mean, it came right after Tulane, uh, right before Alabama, which, I mean, sure, I'm sure that has some some benefits, you know, giving you maybe an extra week to prep for the Tide, but – at the same time, it came so early in the season that injuries had not really been that much of a factor for Ole Miss. And now, you know, you're you're coming into this weekend with 
for, you know, facing a team that on paper is just an inferior opponent, you know, just to put it, you know, the, the way it really is. Um, but I, I'm sure that Kiffin and company would much prefer this to be a bye week instead of actually having to prepare for a game, even though it's not an SEC game and it is, you know, it, it could present an opportunity for you to get a little healthier. Um, I'm sure they would really like for that, for that bye week that came uh, in, in September to actually be, be now. That's a good point. Uh, health is, is really the chief concern here. Um, the, the running game, the running backs are healthy though. I mean, I think that's, really where uh, this thing should lean, especially with the, the depletion we've talked about among the pass catchers in particular and Matt Corral, you know, for that matter. So I think because of the opponent, even with those injuries, you should be able to physically win at the point of attack. And you could probably go a little bit more conventional with the plan, um, even in a, a knock it out, drag it out kind of game at Auburn. You know, none of these backs carry the ball more than 12 times. Um, and Ely only got three carries. So I think there's there's some fresh legs in that room, and I think you could utilize them to, to take pressure and, and hits off of Corral, right? Every It's like a car engine, right? Uh, every time I buy a car, I'm like, I'm weird about starting it because I feel like every car engine has a finite amount of starts until it's just not going to start, whether that's new or used, whatever. With Matt Corral, again, not the biggest guy, he's, he's got a finite number of hits that he can take until it's just too much. At what point does Matt Corral now, Ole Miss with two losses, this is cl- clearly, this is a totally me. This is not any sourcing, any journalism here. This is just human to human. At what point does he let his foot off the gas and think about his future, right? I mean, all these mock drafts, he's QB1 all over the place, top five pick. At what point does he, at, even subconsciously, take a little bit off? I know that's not his style. It's never been his style. But at what point does, does he think about doing something like that uh, with, with the West theoretically out of reach? I mean, it's not technically out of reach, but it's pretty much out of reach for Ole Miss at this point. So a lot of goals lie ahead, but, but health has to be uh, the biggest priority right now. So, yeah, if you could substitute – a bye week for Liberty, I, I think everybody in Oxford would probably say yes. Yeah, and Liberty doesn't come without their, um, you know, without their their dangers. But if you're an SEC football team and you're Ole Miss and you're you're still a top 15 team, you still have a Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback, and I'm sure we'll talk about whether or not that's still a re- realistic possibility here in a little while. But you have to you have to give or you have to think that each of those running backs, like you mentioned, Garcia is going to get, you know, 10 to 15 to (laughs) probably or more touches each in this game. Like you want to run as much as possible in this football game. And as far as Matt Corral goes, you know, he is, he is the engine that drives Ole Miss and he is the most competitive person you're going to meet, but, but you're right. I mean, he, eventually he is going to have to start to take into account the health of his body, his future, and all those kinds of things. And and when you keep taking hits, and, and now it's not even the same ankle, it's the other ankle, eventually you kind of have to ha- – you, you have to have some concerns, and you're going to have some doubts, and you're going to have some um, – what's the word I'm looking for here? 
just doubts. I mean, just doubts, you know, some, some, you're going to have some caution. And I think that's something that they're going to be very um, cognizant of going forward too. Well, and, and Liberty too has, has struggled to stop the run this year. Um, So I I agree. I do think that the three headed attack of, of backs will, or at least should uh, see, see a lot of touches on, on Saturday. I mean, I think even, even against UMass this past week, I think they gave up over 100 yards on the ground to one of their backs. So, um, you know, that that is something, and especially with, you know, considering the health of Corral and the health of the receivers uh, or lack thereof, you know, I, I do think that it would be it would be pretty foolish to to not give the backs a pretty pretty healthy dose of touches um, this this upcoming week. Garcia, you know, Corral, you, well, he's well, still he's still the leading rusher by such a wide margin on, on this roster. Corral's at 110 attempts. Uh, Henry Parrish is at 86. <laughs> so he's still he's still a full for a running back standards, a conventional 1997 running back. He's still a full game's worth of carries ahead of of the next. Uh, most prevalent ball carrier on the roster. Uh, now there's a bunch there, right? Parrish, 86, Connor, 77, Jaron Elliott, 62. So there is a grouping there, but Corral still the leader in attempts and yardage uh, for the moment. So um, it, it's it's kind of not in his DNA, but again, if he's not going to take the coaching, which I'm sure, you know, and Lane has said this, right? I'm sure is like, hey, just gear it down just one notch. Nobody's asking for Corral not to move. But just gear it down maybe one level. I just don't know. I don't know if if he's willing to do that. Um, and on the flip side of my previous point, you know, what if he starts pressing more, aware that he is the difference in most cases between Ole Miss winning and losing, and, and where he could his performances, his numbers could be the difference between being invited to New York and not. So the opposite can happen as well. Yeah, and and. Garcia, maybe you can answer this, and this this kind of goes more towards the uh, the Liberty side. But you know, we talk about Ole Miss having to keep pace, or not keep pace, but keep Corral healthy and all this stuff. There's another quarterback on the sideline for Liberty, and I haven't been paying any attention to Liberty this year. I'm about to dive into that stuff this week. Is Malik Willis still healthy, and is he going is, as well as um, you know the the preseason hype had surrounded him? Individually, yes, um, but Liberty's got some losses on, on, on their schedule. So for, for that darling of a Heisman candidate, it would have had to be almost flawless in terms of not only his performance, but obviously the performance of, of the team itself. And he's still killing it, right? 20, 21 touchdowns, six picks, nine more touchdowns on the ground. Uh, like Matt Corral, he is the leading rusher for Liberty in both attempts and yardage, he actually has more yards than the next two running backs combined on the Liberty roster. So everything we're saying about Matt Corral, take it, take that to a whole nother level. And that's what Malik Willis has has basically, you know, had to do for Liberty. He is he's really he's really the program. It's, it's Hugh Freeze and, and Malik Willis tied at the hip. And we know Malik's gone after this year, and, and it makes you wonder with all these jobs open, Hugh give who gives. Oh, who gives Hugh Freeze a call? You know, two degrees and I can't speak. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what Liberty looks like beyond 2021, but it is still 
all about that dynamic between Freeze and Willis, who is about as good as as this country offers at the position from both a throwing and a running perspective simultaneously. So this will be a totally different approach from the Ole Miss defense all week long. But but Malik is absolutely living up to the hype, and he'll be in the league next year, no doubt. Well, so, so see, that brings me to my next point, is when you have another quarterback like that on the opposite sideline, even if Corral isn't um, – even if Corral wasn't necessarily slowed down by these injuries and these other, you know, and these wide receivers and all that stuff, given the way your defense has been up and down so far this year, I mean, yeah, it's been better the last couple of weeks, but when you have a quarterback like that on the opposite sideline, that also kind of alters your game plan. You want to keep him on the sideline. So even if everybody was healthy, you may have already seen more of a rushing attack from Ole Miss. So I, I think that that kind of, um, it this game, could not have come at a better time for Ole Miss in that respect as well, because, you know, you're going to want to be handing the ball to Snoop and, and, and Parrish and Ely as much as you can, just to keep Malik Willis on that sideline. That's a great point. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, and it, it is, it is interesting that, you know, you, you bring up in, in passing a second ago, the whole darling Heisman thing with Willis. We we touched on it at the beginning of the show. Does is Matt Corral still in the running for this? I, I personally still think he's invited to New York, but do do y'all think that you know Saturday really kind of dimmed those chances of him maybe winning the Heisman? They're definitely dimmed. Are they totally out? No. Uh, we talked about it on on last week's pod. Um, the number's three. Three losses is kind of the the threshold in terms of the precedent in the last decade or so of, of whether or not you can win the Heisman Trophy. So um, apologies to B. John Robinson. He's probably out of the running at this point, given Texas having four losses. But Ole Miss has two. Uh, the schedule is not easy going forward. So I, I think there could be another loss there somewhere. Uh, Mississippi State's playing well. We, we've talked about AM a little bit on the last few pods. So I do think he still gets invited to New York, not only because of his individual numbers and the MVP-ness of, and that's P hyphen N-E-S-S, by the way, uh, the MVP type of resume Corral has built this year, right? It, it's not an MVP award. It is a Heisman award. It's supposed to go to the best player, but the human element of it creates this MVP style of, of awarding, and if that's the case, I don't know how you could make the case someone is more valuable to the success of their roster uh, than, than Matt Corral at Ole Miss. So I do think he gets invited. And I think the lack of a clear front runner on an undefeated team continues to keep Corral right in striking distance, right? Um, you know, if Alabama hadn't lost to, to AM, we'd probably be talking about Bryce Young wrapping this thing up with a couple more good games. But that's not the case. Uh, Georgia is so dominant, so good, but they're defensively dominant. They've rotated quarterbacks. They don't have a stud on offense who carries a big portion of the load, whether it's running back, pass catcher, et cetera. And, and we all know these, these people aren't going to vote for a defensive player, at least to win it. So that is also keeping Corral's light bright in this Heisman race. So it's certainly far from over. And again, if, if the numbers are good, and he outduels Malik Willis, which which he has to this point 
in uh, 2021, then I think that that will be another, um, you know, feather in, in Matt Corral's cap because he's going head to head with a lot of the guys that are either on the list now or, or that were on the preseason list as the season goes on. Well, and I think that another thing that um, needs to be said for Matt Corral is that, you know, he's he, he as close as that game was uh, on Saturday, you know, Ole Miss still had every opportunity to win that game had they may, maybe a couple of other things gone their way or kicked some field um, goal. or kick some field goals. So in, in, in theory, he's a few lane, he could be a few lane Kiffin decisions away from, um, from having another win under his belt on the road against a ranked team. And I, you know, you, you would think that the Heisman uh, committee would, would take note of that a little bit, but also he still has a couple of pretty big games ahead of him where he can sort of regain that ground. So if he gets healthy and he outduels Malik Willis, like you said, then yeah, I mean, that's, that's one thing. But then if he also um, takes care of business against AM, has a good game against that, one of the top defenses in the country and gets that, that ranked win and, and puts another, uh, puts another ranked win under his belt, then that also will push him forward in that debate. So I think that, as long as they stay un- unblemished the rest of the way, he he still has a pretty dang good shot. Now, if you know if if he has a bad game against A and M or, or he you know increases the uh, or if he, if he gets hurt a little bit more against Liberty and then and then goes out against A and M and can't really do much, then you you know that's that's another story. But for right now, I think he's still in a pretty good position at least. Well, and, and not only is, is the margin for error so seemingly slim kind of right now for his Heisman race, but, man, after after seeing, you know, more injuries for the Rebels on Saturday, it seems like almost the, the margin for error a little bit is is kind of slim for the team as well right now because, you know, like, like y'all have said, I mean, Ole Miss should be able to, to handle Liberty and Vanderbilt, but – you know, you, you've got Texas A&M and Oxford, who, like we've said, has, has is starting to come into form a little bit. And then if you look at Mississippi State's performance this past Saturday against Kentucky, that, that game in Starkville is starting to get more interesting as well. And, I mean, I know we'll talk more about that as, as the season goes on, but, you know, that is, that is something I think to keep an eye on is, you know, the, the health of the Rebels in relation to the difficulty of the remaining schedule too. Yeah, things are not going to get easier. Um, that's for sure. Uh, Liberty is one thing, but you still have some SEC opponents left on the schedule. So um, every break that they can get, they need to take advantage of. And whether that's, you know, hopefully being able to play some some younger guys who wouldn't get as much run and rest some of your starters against Liberty or, um, you know, somehow managing to stay injury-free when those things just start to stack up. Um, there's still a lot of work ahead and that's, you know, that everybody has that issue. That's something that every football team has to deal with. And once they, you know, get a, get a few more guys into this program and they can start to build that depth, um, these things will become less of an issue, but until you do that, you know, this is kind of a disadvantage that, that Ole Miss has always had to deal with. They've always been 
a program that's more top heavy than 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 deep because you know that it's it's hard to compete with the likes of Alabama and Auburn and and Georgia and and those types of schools uh, on the recruiting trail who do have that depth. Um, but they're showing signs of that, and, and Garcia knows this better than anyone else. They're right on the precipice there of a, of a top twenty-five recruiting class, and you know, plug, plug, plug. Uh, Garcia just released the uh, the top twenty-five um, recruiting rankings for the month of November, um, or the updated recruiting rankings, I should say. So they're there, and there's still some guys on the board, but they have to start hitting on some of these guys if they're going to start to move towards a program who has that kind of depth. We can get your quarterback. You'll be back in the top 25. And it, just in state, there's still a lot of battles uh, to, to be had just for a quick recruiting update. You know, number one player in the state is Kamari Rogers, the DB, committed to Miami, but certainly looking at Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Tennessee. He'll be in town for the AM game on an official visit. Stone Blanton, the top linebacker in the state. Family legit has season tickets to both programs in terms of Ole Miss and Mississippi State. So that will be a coin flip between those two. He is currently committed to state uh, for baseball. And then Trevion Williams is back on the market. You know, pass rusher was committed to Florida State, backed off that commitment and uh, was at Starkville over the weekend and is supposed to visit Ole Miss here soon. Just not sure if it's going to be for Liberty or for AM. And then Looking at those quarterbacks, man, this thing has, has changed very quickly for Ole Miss in the last week. Maybe the top target was, was Justin Martin, top 10 quarterback. He commits to UCLA, the hometown school. So priority shift to Devin Brown, who already took his visit to Ole Miss. But early Monday, breaking news, Walker Howard, the LSU quarterback commitment, is going to visit this weekend for the Liberty game. So um, in, in 2022, there are some, some flip candidates out there for Lane Kiffin and company. And we know typically those guys close very well on the recruiting trail. So I, I would say if, I mean, if all things go right, a top 20 class is, is in contention, but if a few things go right, it'll certainly be a top 25 group, which is uh, really strong for Lane Kiffin in his first real full year and full normal year recruiting uh, kids to Oxford. Yeah. And you know, obviously, for those listening, Garcia is like we we jokingly, semi jokingly, call him the Jedi Master of of collegiate recruiting coverage. So uh, be be sure to keep an eye on that because he, I, I, Garcia, I don't know how you do it. I mean, you 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 have your finger on the pulse of seemingly everything, and like I, I don't know, that's just a testament to how good you are at what you do. But um, yeah, but it, it will be interesting to see definitely how how the Rebels are able to, you know, kind of like you said, close out this this recruiting cycle. And it is it is Kiffin's first full, real, normal – that's a lot of words um, – <laughs> recruiting cycle uh, in, in Oxford. So, um, yeah, and, and obviously the, the quarterback position is going to be something of, of utmost importance because, you know, the, the guy that you have right now that's carrying your team – is going to be in the league next year. So, um, yeah, for sure. Well, I think that um, you kind of have to take into account the fact that um, even if they don't get Walker Howard or they don't get um, Devin Brown 
because, I mean, let's face it, those guys are very highly coveted and there's a lot of other programs chasing him. You still have an opportunity to land a, a guy in the transfer portal. So it, there's a lot of things that could that could happen going forward in that regard. But um, I think one of the other areas this team really has to start focusing on is, um, you know, depth along the, the defensive front and depth along the linebacker and, and the linebackers and secondary because you can't you can have the best offense in the country, but until you have an SEC defense, it's going to be very hard to compete in the SEC. And they have not had that since, you know, truthfully, 2014, 2015. Um, Hugh Freeze's last couple of years in, in 16 and 17, you know, it, it started to sort of fade in the wrong direction. And, um, you know, that's, that's as important as, as anything because – I mean, look, AM, they they don't have the quarterback, but they have the defense and they were the ones that beat Alabama. You know what I mean? So um, and, and that was also, I think, the common denominator, along with having um a quarterback who could kind of you know do it with both his arm and his legs in Alabama, you also have to be able to slow them down just enough especially now that they've sort of flipped the script into this offensive juggernaut, you know, that it didn't use always used to be that way it, before it was sort of a more ball control, um, you know, um, not as, not as high flying offense. And then they moved to the two a years and, and, and Jalen hurts. And then, you know, Kiffin was the offensive coordinator and Sark and that, that script is kind of flipped. So, I think that they need to focus on that side of the ball just as much in order to get back sort of where they want to be and 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 sort of cement their future. Do you do you guys remember? Surely you do. I guess it was 2014. Ole Miss had like the best scoring defense in the country. Oh yeah, of course. You know that Sinquez Golson picking off every other pass, Robert Kendici, you know. Parade Jerry, all, all these guys, not Parade Jerry, who am I thinking of? Um, the other, the other, the small defensive tackle, Parade Jerry was Houston Nutt. The, the small defensive tackle, what was his name? Uh, are you thinking Marquise Haynes? No, but him too. Don like, Chow. what'd you say, Garcia? Was it Devin Godshaw? No, he went to LSU. Um, oh, I can't remember the guy's name you know, off the top John? of my head, but it, the point is, they, they did used to have that, that, that sort of depth, especially along the defensive front. And, and that is, I think, been one area in particular that they, um, they really need to start working on. And, you know, when they have that defense, anything's possible, but when they don't, you know, you have games like, um, you know, you getting in, did against Tennessee or you did against Auburn where, you know, maybe if you get one more stop, you know, they, they, it worked out against Tennessee, but it didn't work out against Auburn. Maybe if you get that one more stop, you know, so it's it's a tough game, and, and when you're at Ole Miss, it's you're you're always facing an uphill battle in, in this conference. But you know, it's it's something they're just going to have to overcome. And we haven't we haven't really talked about it, but man, the, the defense looked different in the second half against Auburn. It was just the offense could not get in the end zone when they were in the red zone, and um, you know, obviously, we we can talk about the the decisions of, you know, as to whether or not to kick field goals. I know that we've talked about that amongst ourselves, but, um, man, it, it, you know, obviously the defense didn't start off very well, 
but they uh, they they played well enough in the second half that if Ole Miss's offense had just been able to find you know a score here or there, you know we we may be having a different conversation today. Yeah, Auburn only scored three points in the second half, and outside of that final drive where they were just running out the clock with with Bigsby and, and Bo Nix on the keepers, yeah, the Ole Miss was getting off the field, uh, creating three and outs. It was an attacking style from Durkin. Uh, I thought Springer played uh, really well near the line of scrimmage. Uh, the front four looked good. Sam Williams had his moments. Um, Katie Hill just, you know, laid down again on command right now. Um, but other than that, you know, it was it was real downhill and attacking. And I thought the secondary played really well as well in the second half because they were left on a lot of islands back there daring uh, Bonex and Auburn to throw the ball with the lead, which they didn't do a ton, um, uh, which is which is understandable. But, yeah, it was an offensive game in the first half, and then, boom, both defenses at the same time kind of stepped up, and, and obviously Lane Kiffin's decisions helped out with that at the very end, and, and Ole Miss's defense then got tired, and Auburn just ran the clock out, and, and that was that really quickly. It went from fourth down, 11-point game with – I don't know, 452 left. Okay, you kick the field goal, eight-point game. Here you go. You know, you kick it deep, you can onside, whatever you want. Now it's a one-score game. And Auburn just never gave the ball back after that that failed fourth down uh, attempt. So um, I thought that was telling as well, where you just kind of left your your defense out there to dry. And after a great third and fourth quarter performance, uh, it was it was a little bit too much to ask their uh in the end. So you wonder what they'll do to learn from it. Um, you should beat Liberty and, and roll into AM and then kind of see what happens. Cause that AM approach is similar to the Auburn approach, right? Two really good running backs, uh, a better defense, although Auburn's played really well one on one against Corral. So I'm really curious to see just the approach. Do, do you get the young guys in, like, like Matt said, uh, or do you really just fine tune with that starting unit? looks like and and some of the schemes that that they're most comfortable with when it hits the fan and and you don't have the time to make the adjustments against a a better opponent in two weeks well here's my question for both y'all um you know obviously when you have kiffin it's it's an exciting brand of football and he's he's a riverboat gambler he always has been you know he he wants to go for it that he talks about analytics and you know they talk about it on every single Ole Miss broadcast at this point analytics 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 kiffin goes for it kiffin goes for it at any point do you start to pull back on that just a little bit do you do you learn from what happened against auburn or is that the outlier do you keep pushing the envelope is that how you separate yourself against these teams like you know, like he did against Tennessee or like he has done the rest of the season. Is that what you have to do to to make an impact in the SEC and beat these teams? Or, you know, are they are they going to learn from it? Well, and and I I think I'm I'm totally here for the analytical approach. That's just me. But Kiffin has said himself in media availabilities that there are times that he goes against the book where, you know, saying, hey, I decided to kick a field goal when the book would say to go for it. But, you know, he said, he said, you know, you can't always just go strictly by the book. You have to kind of coach based on the feel of the game. And that's where I think it was lacking on Saturday because, you know, there were, there were times, I believe at one point Ole Miss was down eight 
and they could have kicked a field goal to maybe make it five. And that kind of would shift the, if anything, the mindset or momentum of Auburn on the other sideline. I mean, and, you know, just, just multiple times down there in the red zone, I just think you have to come away with some form of points. Um, but, you know, chose to chose to go for it instead. But I guess to answer your question, I, I do think that I do think he'll stick with that to an extent, the the going forward on fourth down and, and all of that kind of stuff, which, you know, at times I'm, I'm in favor of. Obviously, I'm not a football coach, but, um, you know, other times, kind of like on Saturday, it, it definitely can come back to bite. We've talked about it throughout the pod. He was doing this and making these extremely risky decisions without the personnel. And I believe of the four fourth down attempts in the red zone, all of which failed in the game, I believe those fourth down calls were all passes. So in theory, yes, you're putting the ball in Corral's hands, but on the other end, as that game wore on, especially it's, it's the, the least experienced unit you got on the field who's supposed to make the play on the other end. So I, I thought there were a lot of curiosities between some of those calls, not only to go for it, but the play calls thereafter. But look, pulling back and Lane Kiffin, those those don't belong in the same sentence. I don't think he slows down. He's, he's more of a double down on the denial kind of guy in my mind. So I don't see him slowing with that relative to a big game and a big moment like really the last month or so has been for Ole Miss. It seems like every game there have been these 50-50 calls on fourth down. And, it, and, and yeah, he's, he's gone against the book sometimes, but um, I feel like he, he uses that as a bit of an out uh, at the same, same token. So I don't see him pulling back at all. I think he stays ultra aggressive. It, it, it won't matter. It shouldn't matter against Liberty. Um, but you know we're going to be talking about it, good or bad, after uh, A&M for sure. Well, and the other thing that I'm glad you, you mentioned uh, this in particular – Garcia is that every game leading up to this Auburn game has been an absolute emotional roller coaster. You know, going all the way back to Alabama, like that that game was super tense. Yeah, they got blown out, but the, still the mindset of that game was super tense. And then you go to you know you go to Tennessee and you, you or, or you go to Arkansas. I mean, and then you go to Tennessee and and now Auburn. It's all these huge emotional tough games and if when you get four games like that in a row which you often do in the sec let's be honest it's hard to always come out on top and i bet you anything going into this season if you had asked lane kiffin hey alabama arkansas tennessee auburn you come out of that stretch two and two you're what is it what are they now six and two on the season I think he would have taken that, and I think every Ole Miss fan would have taken that. And that's another reason why this Liberty game comes at a good time is because it, it's sort of a reset because you get to – yeah, you, like the whole Hugh Freeze coming back to Oxford thing is, is its own thing. But in essence, you get to sort of not take your foot off the gas, but there's not the pressure of, okay, we need to win this game to stay in the SEC race or we need to win this game to – to do this or that it's okay. We're going to win this game. We're going to get back on track and now we can sort of refocus towards the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, 
And yeah, there was there was something I was going to throw in there. I haven't seen a lot of people talk about this sequence, but it's one that stood out to me on Saturday. I don't remember if it was the third quarter or the fourth quarter. It was in the second half. Ole Miss, I'm pretty sure, went three and out, punted. Auburn muffs the punt. Ole Miss recovers, goes four and out. And I, and I think that, you know, I, I was sitting watching the game and my mouth, like, fell open when, when that punt was muffed and Ole Miss got on top of it because I was like, okay, that might be the spark that kind of rides the ship here a little bit. But it just didn't. Like, and, and that's, you know, I don't remember the sequence of plays that took place right after that, but I'm pretty sure that was another failed fourth down attempt there on, on that drive. Um, and, and to me, that, for, that, that was one of the many nails in the coffin, I think, that kind of solidified how things went on, on Saturday. Moving to the Liberty game, guys, uh, and and John Mankin in particular, big booze uh, ahead for Hugh Freeze, or or could this be? Uh, is there any is there any element of appreciation that is going to be audible from those of us watching from afar when when Hugh uh, jogs onto the field? I I think it will be mostly booze. Um, there's there's a portion of the fan base that that really holds Freed still in high esteem. And, you know, regardless of what you think of that, uh, I, I think that that portion of the fan base will be pretty well drowned out on Saturday. Um, I think most people kind of are able to sit back and realize, okay, yes, there were good times in Oxford when Freeze was here, but at the end of the day, the that whole sequence of events from really 2016 until his exit um, really kind of cratered, for lack of a better term, your program for the next three to four years. Um, so no, I, I think that it will be it will be a a chorus of boos um, for for the most part. But you know, I I don't think that that. Originally coming into this year, I really expected this game to get a ton of national hype. I don't know that it's really going to this week, not not just an inordinate amount, uh, because Ole Miss is coming off a loss. Liberty, you know, has has some losses on their docket as well, including one to like Louisiana Monroe. So, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not sure that this will get just like the pop and circumstance that I think a lot of people were expecting coming into the year. Well, I, I think one thing is certain. You're going to see a lot of interesting signs on a on frat row this week. Um, you're going to see a lot of interesting signs in the Grove and uh, and in the stands. But I, 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 I've heard chatter that, you know, not necessarily chatter, but like I've heard people talk about, um, you know, whether or not Hugh Freeze is going to have some sort of you know, thank you, Hugh Freeze, before the game, or, or something to remember Hugh Freeze, and I just don't see that happening. There's no way. Um, no, because yeah, he he brought a lot of good things to the program, but I, I think ultimately, what ends up happening is that, you know, they may say something before the game along the lines of "and welcome for, for former Ole Miss coach Hugh Freeze," and that that's it. There's nothing. On, there's nothing on the video board. There's nothing on. Um, you know, no, nothing beyond that. Um, but, 
you know, when, when Liberty comes out onto the field and, you know, Hugh Freeze runs out in front of them, you know, leading them onto the field, it's, it's, I think it could be kind of a fun, ugly. I don't think it's going to be like, um, true ugly ugly because you know the guy the guy hit the bottom and i think most people who pay any sort of attention to college football know that he hit the bottom and um so there will be some some fun booze but i I think that's probably about the extent of it and it i've seen or heard speculation from people just like you know whether it be media or fans as to whether or not there would be some kind of you know honoring moment of freeze and i think that would just be a one i don't think it's going to happen but two i i think that would just be a marketing blunder for the most part too i think it's a really really bad look if that were to happen yeah absolutely don't take an L, regardless yeah (laughs) yeah that, that would be a worse look uh for sure so all right well we've been here for uh, pretty solid minute. So um, going and close things out, that's going to do it uh, for this episode of the Grove Report podcast. Make sure to like, r- like, rate, and subscribe on all of your favorite platforms and make sure to check out thegrovereport.com for all the latest news and analysis about the Ole Miss Rebels. Thanks for listening and we'll see you later in the week.